Thank you for listening to the Fashion Africana podcast. Please be respectful of the intellectual property featured in this episode. Hello, I'm Beatrice and Ola, and you're listening to Fashion Africa Now podcast. Today I'm speaking to Carmen. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for accepting the invitation. Carmen, could you please briefly introduce yourself to us? Of course. Uh, my name is Carmen, Carmen Hogg. I'm mainly based in Amsterdam, but I travel in between Amsterdam, Accra, Lagos and London quite a bit. Uh, I do a few things. Uh, I call myself a style anthropologist, which means I research style because I believe that style is the visual expression of who you are. And it shares a lot of stories of how you relate to one another, how you look at the world. And uh, I write. As part of my research, uh, I often um, yeah, bring out written pieces with photography. Um, and I am a creative producer. So whenever I'm in Accra, Lagos or London, I work with people on the ground to get cool stories out, to highlight uh, yeah, interesting people, interesting clothing brands, interesting trends on the ground. Um, so yeah, that's me, basically. Great. Thank you. How did you actually get started to, to do your research into the African fashion market? Oh, it started a while ago. It started in 2006. I grew up in Holland and I, from a bachelor's, I decided to do my final year in London. I was studying at university and people from countries all around were living around me and I didn't know the existence of the country. So then I realized like, hmm, the way I'm brought up and what I see here is like, doesn't match. There's a whole new reality that I've never seen and never experienced in Holland. So I figured, okay, let me go experience um, a country uh, that's that I have no, like to experience a West African country where I haven't been taught about in high school or secondary school, which at the same time is part of Dutch history. So uh, my French is very limited and I have an interest in music. So I figured, okay, where uh, is there an English speaking country where music is like something's happening? So through um, a website, africanhiphop.com, I came across a new uh, genre of music, which was called hip life back then in Ghana. So I thought, oh my gosh, it's hip hop. And hip hop is like my heartbeat. So it's hip hop, uh, but then they will rap in the local language, uh, and they would dress in certain ways. Sometimes they wore more traditional clothing, sometimes more hip hop, American hip hop clothes. American style codes. Um, so I was interested, okay, how do they present themselves in a context where you rap over a maybe American sounding beat and how do you select what you wear to which audience? So with that, I went to do my master's and I went to Ghana. And there it actually happened. I really was inspired by the little access that some people had and still that they managed to look very cool, very neat and super like on trends or uh, the influence of uh, local materials, the influence of culture and dress, and also the American influences or European influences in dress. So I saw a whole new array of different styles of dress in a context that very, that interested me. Because I could go to high street shops and get whatever I wanted to, what I saw in an American video in Amsterdam or in London. 
Mm. But in Accra, you didn't have them by then. So I was like, oh, how does that work? Coming back to Holland, people were still asking me all these narrow-minded questions on, you know, how was it? Was it dangerous? When yeah. did you sleep? Did they have internet? I thought, hmm. I can tell them one-on-one in discussions that it's not that. There's much more to it. But I thought, oh, whatever I start publishing on stories on fashion and style and show them nice things and indirectly influence uh, their perception of what is happening there. So that's kind of how it started. So I went for uni in 2008. I stayed in Accra for four months researching hip life. Yeah. And uh, focusing on dresses. I think dress has always been very interesting, no matter where you are and who you are. Like, I think dress is fascinating. Yeah. And then especially in a context like Accra back in the days, but up to today, I think it's very interesting. Like, how do you style yourself? And what do you choose? And what stories do you tell with that? And I do use it as a indirect way to um, show people what is also happening in certain cities. Absolutely. To add, add new images, add new people, add new stories to dominant narratives that are still circling around in Europe yeah and so 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 that means you decided then on your own you 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 did your own research took your own money and you just traveled over and and spent some time there or you were part of an association on institution you were working for at that time uh back then it was 2008 so instagram didn't exist so you had facebook and you had email i don't think i had a smartphone with whatsapp even so I needed a link. I sent the email to a guy who was of a hip life, hip hop group in Accra. And he was interested in my research. He wanted to meet up with me. And through somebody of uni, I found a room where I could stay. And I just booked the tickets and I went. Because I thought, okay, I can, I, I don't know what I thought. Like, I, I didn't know, I knew a London Ghanaians, um, born in Ghana, born in London. I just thought like, yeah, I think I can go and do this. So I went and then I had this one guy that I met and then to meet other people for the research and to talk to people, that was interesting. But it was also interesting being a white girl in a West African context and being very aware of my own skin color and the pre-assumptions that come with it. So it was it were interesting times for a, I'm now 35, so in, in 2008, I was 12, I was 23. So it was interesting times for a young girl <laughs> like myself. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. Absolutely, you know, putting yourself into that society. But it's also good that you say, I mean, um, being also aware, being a white, you know, privileged woman, because you know how how these days um, we we just have to point it out, you know, how it is to 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 look at it from from that point of view. Since yeah. um, here in Germany, the 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 debate or the the research is actually driven also by white women though there are black women out there who are doing um, research as well how do you have maybe an idea or can you explain how come that um, the work that has been done is somehow not relevant globally that now a white perspective somehow needs to add a limitation to it or or give it validation? Mm, I think what I see now is that it's less like that, that back in the day I was working for an anti-racism or inequality organization here in Amsterdam before I started like 
working for myself. And often I was taking along because I was the only white girl in the organization. And we had to meet with the government or local authorities. And they really said, they, they pulled a race card on me. Like, yeah, I'll t- take you along as our white token because we need a white token to connect to that. Um, but what I see now is that uh, I feel that there's more, whereas maybe in the past, I feel like it was more like that, that now, well, I think the biggest thing is the, like the big power structures or the dynamics is still run by people that look like me. Yeah. And I think we are scared of the unknown. In Holland, we don't want to look at our past because it's history. It's all been done. Colonization, you know, it's a long time ago. We've moved forward. So we don't really tap into our past because I don't think we know how to deal with it or how to go about it or we're afraid or... So that it's easier for those in power yeah. that look like me to deal with yeah. an opinion of somebody that looks like me. Mm-hmm. When I say, oh, that's... that's Interesting, you're pointing it out. Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes I was also wondering, I said, okay, it must be that kind of uh, way that it they can relay. She looks like us. She She has been taught what we have been taught. So what she's saying, it's yeah. real. Yeah. Yeah, I think like I, I could. People often make racist remarks, and then I'm like, yo, you can't say that. And then they feel that I think that if I would be black, that they wouldn't say, but because I'm white and I'm just like them, they can make that remark. So I think the whole, yeah. Because like I'm one of them. So mm. then you can be more free and less aware of what you can say. And then if, if I bring out. Uh, a message is perceived different than when you might bring out a message, I think, due yes. to the way you look and how people take in that message is often, to me, linked to your identity. Because exactly. from the way I look, you can't see how I think. Neither with you, but then probably they think like, ooh, because she has African roots, then maybe she is... And whereas with me, you know, yeah, I'm a blank slate, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, how do you often say it? I'm a neutral because I'm... Why, like the whole, which is of course bollocks, but that's how it's often still seen. Mm, mm. Yeah, but what you're saying, I find it interesting because I see now a switch in uh, stories that are shared and being created, and people leading the debates. Um, I think there's, it's changing now. I th- see less white people at positions mm. and more black people at positions in the discussions that matter, which I think is a very good development. Wow, is it in in Amsterdam? Oh, you yeah, that's, mean... but maybe it's my my little bubble in which I operate. But I see, yeah, I do see a change in that. It's 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 a very little group, so still you'll see the same people often in the in the. But still, yeah, it's people, yeah, a lot, Great. more than in the past ten years, I think, mm. or five years even. I, th- I do see a change, so I'm hopeful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, regarding also the late. Uh, young movements, Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, mm. over here in Germany, there are different debates. And finally, we have the debate about institutional and structural racism because yeah. we have a lot of institutions who are dealing um, with with African art and, and, of course, historically. But you yeah. hardly find um, academics of African origin in the institutions yeah. and... How is it in, 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 in Amsterdam? Is it yeah, similar or how, how, how are also these 
um, debates going on? Is it on that level, institutional, structural, or it's still in the whole racism bubble? Mm, it's on different levels. Definitely it's institutional, the inequalities. Um, if you look at all the top levels of all the, the organizations, it's all white. It's often even white men, but quite some white women as well. And I do see that in my creative scene here that people do get asked to participate, but often it's project basis. It's not, not structural yet. All right. Um, now a girl I work with a lot, she's a photographer. She shot the cover picture of the Dutch L mm -hmm. and there's a, uh, a brown girl on the cover. And the photographer is mixed race, so she's, she's brown or black herself as well. And then I think the stylist uh, was was not white either. So it was like a whole like crew um, of different people. But then in the same issue, there's a story of a fashion activist who fights for diversity on all levels in fashion. So to me, it kind of felt, I even told her like, it, it's amazing that you can shoot the cover and I'm more power to you and I wish you could do it like more often. But I'm kind of, it's a pity that all these stories are now bundled in one Yeah. L, whereas I would love to see now this cover and then in a few months, you know, a story by the fashion activist and see it like it, it should be the norm, like to just have different people in your team on set and not to commission them one by one. Yeah. Or you see now exhibitions in museum, then they focused on black in Amsterdam and then the people in the team, the project team, though most of them are of African heritage mm. uh, but it's it's one exhibition like it's one and the theme is black mm -hmm. but i wish that we would be therefore i really i'm inspired by london because it doesn't matter what you look like at least that's that's how i see london more than Amsterdam. it doesn't really matter what you look like you can do or be whatever yeah you want to be so here it's often linked to the subject that is your visual identity Yeah. Whereas I, I wish you could write about cupcakes if you'd be into cupcakes and write for L on cupcakes all the time. <laughs> yes, yes, right. Yeah, London, yeah, mm. it's, a, it's a different thing. You can yeah. find, yeah, so much advanced uh, work and, and everything. And I think also, yeah, the fact that um, Germany and Amsterdam, I, I think, has not yet maybe also done... Uh, the proper homework really looking into yeah. the past colonization because yeah. over here in germany yeah. the talk was mostly over the second world war and oh same and same yeah, yeah yeah russia second world war that's what i remember from high school we didn't learn about slave trade the dutch had a like there's there's a slave castle in ghana with a dutch plaque and i can read it it's old school dutch but me and my dutch i can read it and we shipped people to suriname which used to be I think a colony of Holland until 1975. And to, to, to show it, as you say, also, you know, to, to visualize. This was also for me the goal since my background is media. And I was mm -hmm. just aware of um, that um, we, need to put, we need to come up with these images that show the creativity and that make it clear that there is a scene happening. And also yeah. for me working also here as a creative producer, organizing, producing, 
campaigns and and I wonder like okay this is happening here but we're not seeing the world it's always divided into yeah first second third world mm. and and mm. this is also a term I'm always trying not to 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 really use and always reproduce and um yeah with the work you're doing it's it's absolutely giving an insight of of how the 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 scene the young vibrant scenes are are carrying themselves and and what it means to them you know so i mean in your um or, or let me ask you also this way which which african country actually uh has fascinated you most and during your anthropology research oh god <laughs> i i love accra I like the creativity, the divine mentality, the rich culture that's very visible and and Lagos is uh, it's such a massive city there's more people in Lagos registered so imagine not registered <laughs> than there are in my country. Yeah. And all this happens in a small well, small piece of land but all like all clotted together and the, the richest and the poorest are there and supply is on and off some have everything some have like it's 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 beautiful context for yeah. amazing creativity to happen and i know it's not beautiful for everybody because lagos is very tough and i know whenever i go i mingle often with the upper class because i'm also from europe and you know i have i have yeah high standard the money i bring is is good money to have a good life in lagos mm-hmm. um but i think lagos is a beautiful context with rich culture like it's a nice melting pot of people from all over Nigeria or different African countries that come together and that all have a go getters mentality even one of my friends he's he's a rich guy he's well off but still he's still he's still after it he's not chilling like okay there's money i'm secured my children are secured we we can chill he still has his go getters mentality and is on it like every day and that's what i really like about lagos right and beautiful things happen It is yeah. true. I, yeah, I was there last year. It's it's vibrant. I just yeah. say VI, VI. Hmm. Yeah. A lot <laughs> a lot going on. <laughs> There's a lot, yeah. And if, if you travel to mainly yeah, I don't know. It is. Yeah, and I think my mentality matches with with an mentality of Lagosians as well because I'm fast, I'm very direct. If I want something, I go for it. Great. And I think whenever I'm in a crowd, I have to be aware like I tone it down a bit or, you know, be it's it's more it's politer mm-hmm. and in lagos if i'm in a short time uh, yeah it's it's good to get things done uh, yeah but i also love johannesburg mm-hmm. um, i don't really like south africa but i think it has to do with my own dutch identity because it's my people who, who who took over the country and who still divided the whole ugh, apartheid is the, the yeah best known dutch words mm-hmm. so it, it's it's our legacy our history But I think Johannesburg is very interesting because you see a an interest I see an interesting black creative middle class that's now making ways and somebody told me once that everything creative in Johannesburg is political. Mm-hmm. Um you know mm-hmm. I kind of saw it that way and like oh, it's it's a, such an uneven position to create art from but the art that they make and how they do it and the way they're going for it. I think Johannesburg is interesting as well. Yeah. But it's also hardship in Johannesburg, especially Yeah. you know with that apartheid still only like what is it? 25 years ago like it stopped so, yeah. Exactly. It's just around the yeah. corner. 
just yeah. around the corner. I was born already, so I mean, yeah. Exactly, me too. Yeah. And yeah. and friends I have, I guess you have, have been living mm. during apartheid. Uh, yeah. It's it's still very young, and the companies who have been financially supporting apartheid are still out there. Yeah. And. Yeah. Um, do you also deal with that question? I mean, since you are doing your research and pointing it out, I mean, to align how there's a connection about it, or do you use that information in your work? Now I've been, uh, it was like, I know I'm a, a white woman, but now white girl uh, going to West African. Now it's mainly Accra Lagos I go to, but going to... Uh, cities african cities and i'm i'm a privileged white girl that can go there with my money i can often i'm well received people are open to talk to me or to collaborate uh so i'm i, I like to believe i'm pretty aware of my own identity and how i'm being perceived and all access that comes with it yeah um and i do see i, I was in that journey because i've been going for 12 years now mm. I'm always trying to find, like, what's your own tone of voice? What's your own narrative? Like, who am I in this whole debate? Yeah. Like I said, I was working for an anti-racist company in the past, and I learned a lot there. It was based uh, in Amsterdam, so it was focusing in Holland. But I also saw that all the direct debates uh, to address things literally is not my tone of voice. I do it one-on-one. -on -one. I do it in conversations. But to, like, publicly on my website or for mm. other organizations, yeah. I'd rather do it through the arts. Yeah. So I often try to bring it and, and I try to, like, it depends a bit why I am and where my research takes me. So I probably highlight it, um, but more indirectly. Mm. So I try to sketch the context that I see. And also, what I, if I write something, I want people to know, like, it's my, what I see and I'm not an expert or I'm just here. This is what my, my eyes see and yeah. my eyes meaning the eyes of a girl that's living in Amsterdam, that's been traveling, that's yeah. white, that's 35 now. Yeah. So, um, I'm, yeah. so I tried to bring it in the context, but not directly. All right. I think it's more, I've, I've been doing it in the past and somehow yeah. it wasn't well received or I didn't feel, you know, you try out different ways of doing it. You want the people to receive it and then also to yeah. reply to it, you know, so you can find solutions. Yeah. Yeah, mm. and also I wrote a piece for a, a blog uh, here based in Holland, which is it's quite big, and it was on cultural appropriation. I wrote it in 2017, mm. but I w I'm not the one that's pointing fingers. I'm not like oh, I'm not bashing people. Yeah. Um, I also use I understand where it can come from because I grew up in the system. I grew up in this country, and uh, a lot mm. of things we don't know. It's I know a bit now because it has my interest i do my research I, I want to learn more but it's not being fed to us yeah so in in my writings or in in the stuff that i bring out even in discussions i often understand that the people often don't know now it's getting more harder to under, to say oh i didn't know because i mean come on it's everywhere now yes but, um so my my style of writing is not to address it like oh you are wrong if you do this or that but i try to take them along and breaking down why maybe it's not wise to or why you should take into consideration if you mm. want to. Mm -hmm. So it's more, yeah, I'm pretty direct in my, in my speaking, but when I, you know, what I put up publicly, it's, it's more soft. Cause I understand that I, I, I always, somebody said like, Oh, you always, I'm, I was critically positive or something. Somebody said like, <laughs> you're critical, but still 
like yeah. yeah maybe that's my my the juggle the where where i am now yeah but what i do lately i have to say lately i just celebrate the people that i see oh right so i celebrate creatives like if you look at the stories i bring out it's like i see an interesting musician i want to interview the person we talk about his or her art and i want to bring it to the audience here so i see myself as a bridge mm-hmm. and i pick out people and stories of creatives that i find interesting and just highlight them mm. to a wider audience yeah. and with that hopefully i've been i had many people telling me i want to join you i want to go to lagos too because you make it look so cool i'm like yeah, but lagos is cool like <laughs> it's, it's, it is cool yeah yeah right yeah and there's a lot of cool people doing cool stuff absolutely but do you also collaborate with with um kids of the diaspora from either amsterdam or you know other places that you... you mean the brand kids of the diaspora or no yeah i mean she's also brand <laughs> yeah because i <laughs> i know I kids for them at lagos so like a, <laughs> and it, yeah no i love um, her i love lady no i mean in yeah. general like you know me being a kid of the diaspora living here yeah. being raised yeah. in germany born in germany yeah and and uh because sometimes i see also there's a kind of um lack in in connecting with um white people who are doing also this kind of mm. you know work relating with the african culture yeah. and then on the other hand there's not really a connection to the minority groups in their own yeah. home countries you know because yeah. there's always the situation about getting access You know, it's a different thing. If you would apply for a grant, mm-hmm. I know it, you would get it. I wouldn't get it, mm. you know. Mm. I'm of African origin. Yeah. I have my experience, you know. And yeah. I wonder these days, like, okay, how or what could be a solution? And also in your case, do you try yeah. to find uh, solutions and also being a bridge in that case? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I, I think... All of my work surrounds or includes kids of the diaspora, even for other projects I do, because the work I do in Amsterdam, if I'm in Amsterdam, is in a uh, diaspora borough where West Africans, people from the Caribbean live. Um, things I'm interested in are often linked uh, still to kids of the diaspora. So yeah, whatever I can, I, I do take people on board and I do take them along. And I even had like this time around... Was it March? Yeah, March, there was a girl I met in Ghana. She makes Ghanaian and Dutch, and she bumped into me at some bar, and then later yeah. came back in March, and she told me, oh, I'm around a DJ part-time as well. She's like, oh, and a DJ as well, and I want to go to the markets where you've been going. I'm like, yeah, let's, you know, let's, let's tag along, and you can, you know, I can teach you maybe on the spot to play a bit. Uh, I went with friends um, to Nigeria for the first time. Whose dad is from Nigeria, or oh, I took friends along. Yeah. Uh, to Ghana, whose, whose family members are from there, or a Ghanaian artist from Amsterdam was in Ghana and he knows that I know some people, nice areas to go to. So I told him, like, oh, come over. And then definitely I'm all about connecting and bringing, like, you know, connecting people to one another and, and bringing the information Great. to those. Because I'm like, I hardly work with people of my color, I have to say. Kind of, I would, I would feel, I done a project in Accra on secondhand clothing donations. So how we consume clothes here, how we donate them, how they end up in Accra. Yeah. 
And I done it with another white girl and she'd been to Ghana a lot as well. And I thought, oh, we are on the same page and we have the same understanding. Mm -hmm. But in there, I realized she was much, obviously she was much different from me. Mm -hmm. But she done stuff that I was kind of struggling with. Yeah. So it was, I felt very weird being on a project with another white girl in Ghana. All right. So to me, it didn't feel right at all. Okay. Which is maybe a bit <laughs> like the other way around. Like, oh, yeah. But it was like, I was very aware, like we had two foreigners working on this. Like, yeah. And we collaborated with people on the grounds in Accra. It's like, yeah, it's still, I don't know. It didn't feel right. Mm. Because also the, the fact that, because the way I understand now, I mean, when you work in Ghana or in Nigeria, it's also on behalf of an institution that is based in, in Amsterdam or or how do so you finance okay this is free work okay so yeah or you have your your business running maybe you can give us an insight how yeah, that I have, works um, so i applied for a fund that which was with the other white girl and we got to do the research so that was uh, funded by a fund of the creative creative funds here of the government of holland on the clothing donation so to build a bridge between or oh, we consumer donate clothes and they end up in a spot like Accra and what's the story behind it because we we're told that the clothes end up at markets are sold again or you know end up in trash or poisons the country uh, so that was funded by the government but I've been what I normally do is I write a lot of emails to magazines to platforms to whatever and tell them like yo I'm going to Lagos to Lagos Fashion Week yo I'm going to Ghana Uh, these are some photographers I work with. These people are on the ground. Would you be interested in? All right. So last time I cried, a brand that I got to know through another fashion panel uh, from London, a streetwear brand said, oh, I have a new collection. If you like, can you do a shoot for me? I was like, yes, I have the best photographer there. Send them some work with the photographer. Show them the models that I had interest in. Mm. Um, and I said, yeah, sure, do it. So he paid uh, us to do the shoots. Okay. And this one was like, I know him, so I didn't take cards for me because i just wanted to not have him spend much money and show him the amazing work we can do because it was the first time of him as well but we could pay the models and pay the photographer yeah okay. and in lagos so lagos fashion week we were commissioned by uh, marie claire which is a fashion magazine as well to write the story to take pictures mm, mm. Um, okay what else yeah so it depends so it i'm, I'm like the hustler that always gets <laughs> tries to get the deals you even know? if i don't have a deal i work here to do like content creations for organizations here so i have some little money to take and to do uh projects so I didn't, my biggest one is coming up hopefully soon i done a talk on streetwear in accra with uh five guys who have streetwear brands mm -hmm. so i had a camera guy uh i had a sound guy and had an editor but i paid them for my from the money i brought along i rented a venue because i thought like oh this needs to be recorded i'm not gonna wait until anybody assigns me any money to do it let me just do it put it out there and also hopefully show the world what's happening and also bring more business to us later on yeah so it's a kind of it's investing versus making sure you get deals wonderful i like it yeah. <laughs> thanks oh what i also do sorry if people go like what else to do if i have images of people interested in the stories or the people that i'm interested in we work together i tell them like there's no money yet i'm gonna pitch it to platforms if they get if they pay us for then we get the money if not then it's free work mm. so i've also been pitching uh days Uh, an article and on id and for id we got paid because id pays like 150 mm. euro for an article so then yeah. it's afterwards but we still pitched it to them when it was published 
Great. So it was good for the people that were in the article as well and for the photographer to get some money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is now also what is increasing. And, and this is sometimes where I find um, myself also again thinking around it because, you know, during the days when it was not popular, no one was speaking of African fashion, name this magazines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And here in Germany, um, through the work me my team have been doing, we have been really introducing the African fashion movement into the German fashion landscape. And now you can see more and more articles. And it's still so interesting that, um, yeah, the work has been done years ago. But on the platforms that are run by black women, it's now mm -hmm. not relevant. So it again needs the ha the the, the 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 permission somehow a western magazine needs needs to again give permission to oh yeah that's that's cool and yeah. and this is a kind of dynamic i find also or oh, i look at it very critical because mm -hmm. it should keep the afrocentric um norm and yeah. once again a eurocentric view is on it it will be twisted you know and i mean in yeah, your work different. yeah you, you yeah what i understand is you want to keep up also the afrocentric um idea of all the street brands yeah look at me I'm, i'm six one and a half i'm white blonde i'm like i'm very <laughs> very white so i know that whatever i touch will have my um my Juice to it, which which is probably Eurocentric. I'm trying to be very aware of it, and I work with people on the ground, but I cannot. Yeah, I, you can't get away from it. So I know that whenever I touch something, probably it will have. And I'm an outsider as well. Like I'm not from there, which mm. could be interesting if you're not from there because you look at things differently. Mm. Then you have to be very aware of what you, you know, what your gaze is, what my white gaze is, and what I look at. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I try to. Um, Yeah, I try to be very aware of it. But I don't know. It's up, up to the audience, up to the people to tell me whether I manage or not. So whether it's, yeah. So far, like, so far, so good, I think. But probably people have looked at something like, hmm, this yeah. white girl, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it, it still applies to me too, I think. Because mm. I'm like, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. And what I have seen also on your website, I mean, I've seen some of your writings and, and research and what I saw the writing about the swoosh and the way it's uh, repropriated. Can you tell us more about yeah. how brands are appropriated in unusual ways in Africa? Um, yeah, I, I like. I think brands. If you talk about style and identity, I think brands are very interesting because we kind of put labels on ourselves. We pay for them often. We put like we pay for Gucci to be wearing a Gucci, and we communicate certain things with it. And certain brands, mm -hmm. of course, have a certain. I'm a Nike girl, for example. I do mm -hmm. wear Yeezy, which is a collaboration with Adidas, but I don't like Adidas shoes. So if I see somebody, and if you like one of my best friends wears Adidas, <laughs> we always have like a beef around whether it's Nike or Adidas. And because it's like, I can't even put it to words, but it's something about your aesthetic or what you believe in. I'm very active and sportive. So I think Nike suits me as a person as well. And I'm very tall and their, their clothes <laughs> often fit me well. Adidas is too wide and too short. 
So yeah, but we have these discussions. Or I would never buy a Michael Kors bag, for mm-hmm. example. It's like, nah, it's not for me. It's a different kind of persona who would wear a Michael Kors bag. I could wear a secondhand vintage bag because that's like what I communicate with without a brand. So I think brands are very interesting because we communicate status, aspiration, uh, identity with it in a very clear way because brands have a certain general you know identity mm-hmm. of like oh if you wear uh, gucci we know it's probably you spend a lot of money on it if it's a real one if you take that and that's in your so we can walk into a gucci show store and buy something of gucci or order it online and gucci will deliver it to us but if you like gucci and if you're based in Accra and lagos it's different because what i introduced myself with is the whole a supply of fashion yeah. and goods in a context like our colleagues is, is not like it is here. And all the ads and all the commercials are not designed to an audience uh, in, in West Africa. Still, we have social media, we have music videos, we have artists who look up to, so still people are exposed mm-hmm. to these mm-hmm. goods and have a desire for these goods, like all of us do. But then what you see is that there's a lot of uh, knockoffs, so the, the, the fake brands on the market. And also uh, the real ones, but the whole meaning of the brands um, kind of maybe mm-hmm. doesn't change, but I see different applications of the meaning of the brands. Um, and if I bring it back to the swoosh, I love Nike. Well, I love, all of my shoes are Nike. Uh, whenever I would do sports, <laughs> I wear Nike. Maybe even now I could wear a Nike top because mm-hmm. it's just, I don't I feel the brand. And I can get it whenever I want to. But when I went to Accra or Lagos, especially Lagos, I saw okay. Nike, the swoosh on um, trucks or on a, a motor bicycle, on an Okada. I saw like a cutout swoosh and people were sticking it on their vehicles. And then I thought, oh, people back home, we all have a MacBook and we stick like all the stickers of all the brands on the back of our MacBook to identify, to personalize our MacBook. And I thought, like, hmm, why would somebody smack a swoosh on a, a motorized vehicle? And what is it about the swoosh of Nike? So I've been asking people about the swoosh and what it means. Mm-hmm. And I still don't have clear answers, but it's something with it's a symbol of greatness. So if you stick a swoosh to your car, it's to beautify it, but it's also showing you greatness. Other people have stories about, yeah, there was this one Ghanaian or Nigerian football uh, superstar that played for this one team and their kid was uh, sponsored Nike, had the Nike swoosh. So it's also greatness, it's identifying. So I think it's just interesting to see how, you know, what, what, the desire that we have to personalize stuff and to identify ourselves with certain brands or with certain ideas behind a brand. And sometimes the swoosh I see is not even like a straight swoosh, it's like, like I said, it's cut out or sometimes in Ghana it looks like a Ghanaian stool, but then if you look twice, like, oh my gosh, it's a swoosh and it's a Nike on it. And yeah, I think yeah. it's I think it's interesting why we mark ourselves with logos on our clothes. Even yeah, now yeah, I'm, I'm wearing it. daily paper, yeah. there's daily paper everywhere. Like, oh there's there's a lot on it. Or mm. why would we why would we put it on something else? So it's just yeah, it's it's a fascination of why we do what we do and how we mark ourselves and you know, what, we, what we send across. And the stories behind it are very interesting because the stories mm-hmm. don't resonate mm-hmm. with how I see the swish in my own interest. So it gives me a wider understanding of yeah, identity, belonging, aspiration, which I find very, like it's, it's free research that I do. I just, you know, whenever I go around and take pictures, I ask people, but yeah, I think it's very interesting. Yeah. Absolutely, definitely. 
And what would you say um, the impact of the global Western fast fashion had in Africa? Hmm. First thing that comes to mind, it's also because I done the research on secondhand clothing, is that when I wear a t-shirt of my dad, that's a t-shirt from the 80s and 90s, the quality was still good. So if I wear a t-shirt today, like 20, 30 years later, it's still solid. It's, it doesn't fall apart. But the fast fashion we can do now, whether it's H&M, Primark, even Topshop, the quality is, it's all mixed fibers. So the qualities are very poor. So often there's more of have a hole in it, uh, the stretch is out of it. So we consume our clothes faster. We throw them away faster. And what we throw away is of a very poor quality. So the stuff that ends up in places like uh, Accra on secondhand markets is often rubbish. Like if you, oh, if you mm. see what people still sell there for which you have to pay money, it's old Primark t-shirts, old Primark rubbish that's, yeah. And it's, it's not ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, really, it's, it's so oh, yeah. unbelievable, you know, the, the, at the, the same to time, dump it there. Yeah. yeah. But in Holland, it's very interesting because we don't race it. So we throw in certain bins that people put in the streets. But and, uh, for the city of Amsterdam, it's waste management. So you have your paper, your plastic and your textiles and glass. So textile is one of the waste management uh, aspects. And then they give the assignment to a company that owns these bins to arrange it for them, to manage it. And those companies, they, so they collect all the textiles that we put in the bin all together. They uh, sort them out and the poorest quality to them, they say, well, in Africa, there's still a demand for it. So therefore it's been exported to Africa. So it's, it's yeah, yeah, it's, it's like, really, woof, whenever, yeah. and, and the, the pity is so many people still don't know about it. Yeah. They don't know about it. They believe yeah. I'm doing some so good. Yeah. Even in, in Holland, it's, it says geef goed door, which means, yeah, it could have different translations, but pass, pass on well, or, or pass it on and do good. Like that's the general thought. It's, it's printed on the bin. Wow. So, yeah. And then at the same time, on the other hand, like I have a closet full of clothes, which is environmentally not good at all. I know. But for me and my persona, me as a young girl who wanted to change and dress up and have all these items, it was a blessing because I was like, I have so much to choose from. So at the same time, I kind of wish for other people in places like Accra because the clothes are very cheap. Of course, it's often yeah. secondhand, but the clothes are cheap. Uh, people can select a lot and they, they can have a broader like wardrobe because there's a lot of clothes available. Yet, mm -hmm. if you're a designer on the ground and if you produce locally or if you import clothes and have them designed, they're very more expensive. So then you have the secondhand imported fast fashion and then you have the, the Ghana or Nigeria made. It's more expensive. So your clientele is smaller. So it's, it's, there's yeah. all that to it. You do see Mr. Price in uh, Ghana for sure, which is a kind of fast fashion as well, but I don't see a lot mm. of people wearing it. So if we talk about fast fashion in if I see Accra and Lagos, I mainly think of the markets where they send, sell secondhand rejected goods from Europe, but also Asia, America. And yeah, I see that yeah. the volume is increasing and the quality of the products are decreasing. And Whoa. to me, it kind of feels like it's, it's becoming a trash belt for our textile because it's all like mixed fibers. So it's very hard to use again. So instead of... Yeah you know, solving our waste issues here. We ship it and we dump it there. That's my, my, my brief <laughs> interpretation of what's going on. But it's a very complex matter. But yeah, 
it's not good. It's it's tricky. It is. It yeah. is. It's still a long journey. Yeah, but Absolutely. then at the same time, some countries are banning it, right? And then you yeah. start the people of because at the same time, the people on the market, their markets are like there's hundreds of people selling. So it's also providing incomes to a lot of families. If it all falls down, would those people, I don't know if they have, maybe they have, but are there other jobs they can do, other trades that they can make the same money with? So also it's, it's making sure that maybe some children can go to school. So it's like, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it is it is complex you know mm. and i think it needs different solutions because yeah. with different solutions we we can find a way out and i believe um they somehow need to arise because yeah at the moment so many make a living out of it but the courses and the yeah. effects it has so and i'm happy yeah rwanda rwanda London, <laughs> yeah. secondhand it's yeah. out there and yeah. and some other East African country might follow, also yeah. Uganda, where I'm originally from. Mm-hmm. It's, but it comes also with um, somehow sacrifices, but this is another topic we, we need some more time for to yeah. discuss. Anyways, I'm so glad we find time. And what we always do on Fashion Africana podcast, we mm-hmm. still have two more key questions. I mean, one you somehow already also answered but i will do ask again mm-hmm. first one what does fashion mean to you um well i always break it down to style because fashion to me is what the industry decides and uh style is personal so style is what you wear what i wear is very individual it's the agency of us as a people um but but fashion to me is a way of expression it's I always say style is the visual expression of your identity. By that I mean I'm I'm six one and a half. I have white skin and light eyes. I can't change that. But by putting on certain clothes, I mean I wear a daily paper now. You might have an idea like where I come from. Oh, you always see me in my Nikes. You probably know that I'm not wearing working in a corporate world or corporate section. So it's the visual expression of your identity, and it tells you who you are, what you connect to, and even what you find important. Thank you. <laughs> The second question is, how do you define your role in this movement? Uh, I'm a bridge or facilitator. So I, I want to, well, I, I, I started an agency. So it's, it's Carmapolitan, that's me, because I'm Carmen. And I realized that oh, it's very, my brand is very much me, which works. Because I'm, like I said, I'm tall, I'm out there, I move about, people recognize me and what I do. But I set up an agency because I want to be more of an anonymous bridge and more facilitator. And the agency is called Real Fake Shoes. Um, so it plays a lot with authenticity. Uh, it's just an, an, a creative name. But we try to connect uh, people, creatives from Accra, Lagos, Amsterdam and London to each other. And we want brands to approach us to do stuff. For example, now I'm working on a streetwear video that we shot in Accra with the Accra team, but the editor is in Lagos. And I will mm-hmm. be the one who will be pitching it to platforms like hopefully High Beast or High Snob IAC, like the more streetwear-related platforms. Mm-hmm. So uh, I want to bridge and facilitate. I want to have platforms here that want some content or research on that I can take their money, bring it to people on the grounds there and let them do that magic, the magic that I love, that I, think, right. that, that I think deserves an audience uh, international as well. Great. And you're thinking also of, of platforms that are run by people of African origin? 
You know what yeah. I mean? Because yeah, yeah. the, the thing is, it's a great idea, but if you, you know, again, serve a certain structure, mm-hmm. we will not somehow mm-hmm. find our way out. And, yeah. and there are certain platforms run by, you know, people of African origin here in Germany. I mean, you have here Fashion Africa now, mm-hmm. you have in the UK, um, New African Woman, Paris, Nothing But The Wax, etc. So yeah. um, this is where I find where we need to reflect what we're really doing and if we're really... Um, serving right of course it's it's a step for the brands made in africa is a step for a made in africa brand but at the end of the day it's all about the narrative and if mm-hmm. it's placed on so many eurocentric media platforms i don't know in 20 years what the story will be hmm. good points good points yeah mm. i do know um I have been logging platforms, um, African-owned uh, platforms or African diaspora-owned platforms, but haven't been managed to put on yet. Then I thought it could be because I'm like white and maybe Eurocentric in whatever I produce. I don't know if what I make also uh, definitely is a fit, which I think is a very, uh, I don't know if I would have such platform if I would have me on. So I think it's an interesting um, debate. But yeah, a good point you're making there. I thought in this case of the brands and what they mentioned, but yeah, you're serving a already existing structure. Yeah. You, you could also break One girl, Falan, uh, she made a wonderful remark that people were debating, I think it's over a year ago, whether there was uh, uh, an African Vogue. I think um, um, Tara Banks said something like, oh, we need an African Vogue. No, not no, it was um, Naomi, Naomi Campbell. Sorry, Na- yeah. Naomi Campbell. Yeah. Sorry, Naomi Campbell. She was in Lagos, uh, has been Lagos fashion quite a few times. And then yeah. Valana said, but we don't need the African Vogue. We'll just do our own thing. We don't need the label of Vogue to make it good. We Forget about Vogue. We'll do our own. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is what we should somehow yeah. keep in mind. And, and yeah, wow. Mm. Time is running so fast. It was a pleasure. We need to keep up and, you know, find another time. It was so great. Thanks for having me. It was great indeed. Thank you. You are listening to Fashion Africa Now podcast and I was speaking with Carmen. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you too. You're listening to Fashion Africana Podcast. We humbly ask you to respect our intellectual property. We want to leave you inspired, informed, educated, connected. This is who we are. Fashion Africana Podcast. Get in touch with us on fashionafricanow.com.